listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. I hope you get value from this show. I put a lot into it in trying to find good content and good content providers and experts and authors that can give you some actionable steps so that you can hit your goals of getting more business, better business, and eventually all the business. Now, the focus of the show is for professional services and those in B2B sales, people who sell a sophisticated service or offering to a sophisticated prospect. As you know, I recruit partners for big law firms. I also speak professionally to different types of industries, but sometimes I'll have a guest on the show where all they do is just targeted towards legal, and it wouldn't make sense for non-legal people to listen to it. And when that's the case, I'm always going to give you a heads up early on. Today, we have someone that works within the legal industry where these these concepts that we're going to talk about transfer and are malleable to all other industries. We're talking about succession planning. What would happen if you had a big client that left your organization just because somebody retired? How do you plan for that? Well, that's what we're talking today about with Brenda Pontiff. Now, you may recall Brenda from her previous show that we had several months ago. She's got great ideas. She's worked both in big accounting firms and big law firms, so she's got a truly a unique and highly effective perspective. And one other thing to note is that she's hilarious. She's a professional comedian. And I think that sharp wit and that banter about her makes her a really interesting person. I've gotten to know her a little, little well because she asked me to come and give a presentation to the Los Angeles chapter for the Legal Marketing Association several months ago, talking about their relation between lateral recruiting and law firm client development. Make sure you check out the show notes. All of her information is there. And as always, if you know of experts on a certain business development topic, please message me through the site. You can always reach me at therainmakingpodcast.com. And again, thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a repeat guest. Brenda Pontiff is with us today. Brenda, thanks for joining us on the show again. Thank you for having me again. You bet. And today, I love this topic. It's the Trusted Advisor and succession planning, transferring clients with ease. And let's kind of get some definitions when you talk about succession planning. What exactly does that mean? Well, you have firms that I think sometimes they, maybe they're really good at living in the moment because they're thinking about today, but they're forgetting about tomorrow when that partner retires or when that partner wants to reduce his book of business. And he has a very close relationship with the client and he knows everything about that client but nobody else at your firm does. You need to start thinking about who's going to take on that project. And I always suggest that you start with your younger associates, get them very involved with that client. And as the years go by, when you're ready to leave, you turn, by then that associate's going to be a partner probably. And you're able to turn to that person and say, now you take over. Right. And, and the client is, you're preparing the client all along because the client now knows this person. You're not, you're not just leaving and saying, oh, you know, so-and-so is going to take on this, this work. And you're like, who is that? I've never met that person. And you, your firm, PartnerTrack Academy, it offers business development services to both law firms and accounting firms. Talk a bit about how these two professional services differ in their approach on getting and retaining clients. Sure. I'd love to because there is a a big difference, I think, in how they see the world. I think law firms are very credential focused when they go out and get business, meaning 
you know, here's my education, here's my background, here's this big case I worked on a couple of years ago, or this big deal I worked on. And because of that, I think you should be very interested in my services. Whereas an accounting firm will approach it in terms of, let's look at the client and look at what the client's problems are and how the client's structured and what their operations are. And let's start offering solutions before we even talk about our background. Most of these firms have great credentials. And so when you try to differentiate yourself on, hey, I did this and I did that, well, every, every firm has done those things. So the way to turn it around, and I think the big four accounting firms do this so wonderfully, is that they look at, at the client first, develop solutions, and they may not even know what the client needs are completely. And they could do some research and say, we know you've got this issue and this issue, but tell us. Are you interested in reducing your effective tax rate? Are you, are you having revenue recognition issues? Tell us about those and we'll develop those solutions and we'll share those solutions with you before you even hire us because we want you to know that we know what we're doing. So what do you think that is? Do you think it's because a law firm doesn't want to make a, any sort of promise they can't fulfill, such as I am going to win that case for you if we sue? What do you think? Sure. There's hesitancy. I mean, they can't guarantee you a, a win in a court. You know, they, <laughs> they might say, we, we know this judge, we know this court, we know the, how these things go, and we can hopefully predict. And of course, they want to mitigate risk all along. But I think that, and you've got to remember, there's also the transaction attorneys who are looking at deals and, mm-hmm. and they should be able to promise some, some solid things. Sure. But I think over the years, I have seen attorneys seem to bristle at the idea that their services are like products. Mm. In other words, it's, it's a very fine art and it can't be replicated and it can't be discussed in terms of a beginning, middle, and end. Now, accounting firms don't see their services that way. Accounting firms love to talk about the beginning, middle, and end and the process because they are they develop very well-defined protocols and they're able to lay these protocols end-to-end over services. You know what I'm saying? We're going to go in and we're going to do this audit. Are we going to do some kind of internal control process? We've done it a million times. We know your company is a little different and we're going to make allowances for that. But we can even show you, we can even put it down on a calendar as to what day we're going to do this and what day we're going to do that. So they're very specific. And lawyers can do some of that. For instance, if you've got a class action that you're trying to decertify, there's a process by which you go by. You can share that with your client and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to follow this motion. We're going to do this, 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 and this, and put it down on paper and show them the protocols that you're going to use for that. Right. And law firms have, have been reluctant to do that. I've seen a few that do. And let me tell you, you can <laughs> you can win a big deal that way. Um, in terms of getting the business, you can say, look, we do this and this is how we do it. And it makes the client feel comfortable that, wow, they've already got a process staked out. And, and there may be changes along the way due to what happens. But these guys, have, have they're nimble and they've done this before. And they're willing to roll up their sleeves and talk to me about what they're actually going to do. That's great. And the one thing I think that both of these professions have in common is that they've got to build that trust with those clients and the client prospects. And yes. so let me ask you this. How do you define that trusted advisor? What does it take for a service provider to really obtain this distinction with clients as a trusted advisor? 
Right. Well, you know, to really, to earn that title, you're going to have to be the first one they call. (laughs) So you're top of mind with them as the person who can help solve their problems. Now, how you do that is you focus on their needs. You build the client loyalty over the years. So you're more focused on them and their company and who the people are that they're working with. And it's not just a relationship. It goes beyond that. It's you know, I always say it's great when the client knows who you are, but does the client know who the people are on your team? And do you know who is on their team? Like if you go to their office, do people know your name? Right. <laughs> do they, are they familiar with you? And I have a, a checklist on my on my website. It's called the Building Client Loyalty, the Client Loyalty Checklist. And it's a blog post I wrote in October of 2015. And it's basically 10 steps. And it says, do have I co-developed? and documented my service expectations with this client. What's your site address again? And we'll put it on the show notes, Brenda. Sure. It's www.partnertrackacademy.com. Great. And that's on your blog page there, you said? Yes. You go into thought leadership and just scroll down and you'll see the uh, client loyalty checklist. Yeah. Fantastic. I love that. I love those kind of tools because it causes people that are busy, that are smart, to pause and stop and think about what truly matters and it's building trust with the clients. Yes. And and at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how good their pedigree is or where they went to law school or what their hourly rate is or which firm they're with if they can't earn that trust. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's uh, my colleague and I were talking with the candidate that a very successful partner wants to make a move and he just had the worst people skills I've ever I've ever encountered with anybody. <laughs> and, and and I didn't want to say that to him, but you've got to go back and to your childhood and be a better kid again because your parents didn't teach you what they should have you know, about, about earning, earning trust. So let me ask you this then. When we're talking about that trusted advisor, that trusted partner relationship, you've got a partner that's retiring and he says, I want to go. And some of the lawyers I talk to, they're with the firm. There's mandatory retirement at 65. They want to work until they pull that phone out of the cold, bony hands <laughs> unless, <laughs> out of their last breath. It, you know, they don't want to retire. And so they go to another firm. They take their clients with them. Other people, they want to retire. And yes. what happens to the clients? Tell me about that. How do firms successfully transfer clients to new new attorneys, new service providers, whether it's a trusted advisor that's retiring or somebody, somebody is uh, taking the client to a new firm? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, first of all, they need to be transparent with the client and tell the client what's going on and give the client a timeline as to when this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. There's nothing more upsetting than being caught off guard. And so the big four, again, have uh, really created great processes to help this along. They have, sometimes they have e-rooms, you know, a, a place on the internet where all the documents are stored and, and both parties can go in and, and look at those. They sit down and they co-develop work expectations with you. Mm-hmm. You know, they try to anticipate your needs. That, to me, that's my, my favorite trusted advisors are people who are always anticipating. They're always, you know, you know, what could go wrong? And sitting down with the client and documenting those service expectations. Now that I'm going to be leaving, who do you call? Is it one person? Do you have one point of contact? We've got this project in play. And what are the expectations? What are the deadlines? And who will be the person that takes over this? It may be that if a partner leaves, you're going to bring on two partners 
or a partner and three associates to take over. Now that looks, that's confusing to the client. You've got to be very clear as to how things are going to be handled. They will not be left alone. They will not be left to uh, fend for themselves. Mm -hmm. You've got to convince them and show them, and I say put it on paper, exactly how all of their needs are going to be met. Is there something like a schedule that they should follow? Like on this date, we're going to talk to the client. This date, we're going to have a meeting. Yes. This is when we're going to roll out delivery or whatever. Yes. Talk, talk about that, Brenda. Yes. Well, you know, I one of the things I learned at the Big Four was when the Big Four would take on a new audit client, they would create a transition calendar. So they would post the days that your 8Ks would be filed and they would post everything on this calendar. And sometimes that shifted and you worked with the client as you were proposing on this big project, you would work with the client and say, we're going to move this around. And th- these are the dates that we expect this to happen. And you have weekly calls. Did this happen? And is, is this on track to happen? And I think, you know, I've seen too many lawyers just kind of leave it up to, well, you know, that'll get done when it gets done. And I'm like, that's not good enough. You really need to anticipate and communicate constantly. <laughs> Hold the client's hand because that's, you know, it's, it's very nerve wracking to, to say you've worked with this partner for years and years and now he's gone. And, and I would also say, you know, look, I'm, I'm going to be at home. Call me. If anything goes wrong, I'm still here for you. Call me. And I'll make sure, you know, the buck stops with me. And I'll, I'll make sure that, that this gets taken care of, even though I'm gone. I would say that's, that's important. Well, how do you think that hiccups regarding service delivery and transitions can be corrected or reversed? And, and even before we get to that, what are some of the hiccups or what are some of the trouble spots that you've observed in your experience? as clients are transitioning? Yes. Well, it's that transfer of knowledge from the gatekeeper to the new people that sometimes doesn't take place. They may know about something that was supposed to be filed, something that was supposed to be done. You know, in, in litigation, it's it's the little history of the of the account and things that happen that the new person doesn't know about. And the client can get very upset. You know, well, we discussed this. You guys should be familiar with this. And this was, we knew this was going to be a problem and you've forgotten about it or you didn't know about it or whatever. So that happens all the time, unfortunately. So in order to correct that, sometimes you have to sit down and and almost repropose how you're going to go about this whole project. You know, when I was at Ernst & Young, really one of my roles was someone called it a professional apologizer. (laughs) <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I came in and, you know, we worked in SWAT teams basically, and we would come in and say, the ball dr- got dropped here. We promise you that will never happen again. And the person who dropped the ball usually moves on to another project. We get them off that project. And then we, we bolster the team with more people, but not charge them more <laughs> because people get very price sensitive when mistakes have been made. And you've got to be willing to discount that. Really ready to, to say, look, we're not, we're not charging you for that. That was our fault. So let me ask you about that. If the balls drop, there's a mistake that's made. What's the best way to deal with that? Is it to cover it up and say, that's not my fault? Or to say, I accept full responsibility. That's not going to happen again. And this is what I've set in place to keep that from happening? What, what have you seen works best? Oh, oh absolutely be transparent yeah. and the mea culpa and, and take responsibility and the accountability, communicate that. And, you know, I would also say document that you communicated that. 
you know, oh, that's a good idea. You know, I tell a lot because I've I've worked for firms and I've and I know a lot of chief marketing officers and you know things happen always and you can be transparent and you can tell people about it but then someone will say well I didn't know so document when you're telling them about <laughs> about mm-hmm. the problem to make sure everybody knows so that you can go back to it and say but we talked about this we discussed this. Yeah. You know, if people were more mature and sophisticated about these things, I think people wouldn't be so scared to admit yeah. that they had made a mistake. You know, people oh. are people. They're emotional. and Yes. Yes. Everybody makes mistakes. And, you know, what you find is certain personality types will jump on it and use it as a as a way to control things. And so when you've got that kind of, a, you know, that's the other piece of this. You've got to be aware of who your enemies are and who your helpers are. You know, you can be working with a large client and you may have, you know, one person in legal ops that loves you and you may have somebody else somewhere else in the company that is is not a fan and not a supporter. You've had to work extra hard on those people who are not your fan. And so, Brenda, you've worked both in law firms and accounting firms. And have you done this kind of client transition in both of those industries? Yes, I have. And it's interesting I did it a lot with the accounting firms. I mean, that was just one of one of my roles. With law firms, while I've been in-house, I haven't done as much of it. I have been brought on as a consultant through PartnerTrack Academy to help with the onboarding of a couple of lawyers from you know a, a small national firm into a big global firm to help right. negotiate that they were getting supported and that the client knew that they had someone there helping them with this transition. But it's more rare in a law firm. Law firms don't treat it as a top priority the way accounting firms do. Right. Have you ever seen in these transitions where the client just doesn't want to go forward with the new people? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I've been hired on the premise that that this client doesn't want to come over because they don't think that, that the new partner, the partner in the new firm is supported. And yeah. and, I, and I've seen partners not come over to firms. I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen right. partners in the middle of being recruited to a firm get cold feet and say, I don't want to go to that firm because I don't think I'm going to get supported. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. What do you think firms can do in terms of infrastructure to support the succession planning, the seamless transitions, so the clients aren't motivated to just bail and find <laughs> new law firms or new accounting firms or other recruiting firms, whatever the whatever the firm is that they're working right. with. Well, I think my my simple answer to law firms on that would be to poach people from the big four. <laughs> now, you said that before. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just steal them. Just steal them because they've done this, they get it, and they know how to roll up their sleeves and take care of this. You may not get that skill set from your existing marketing department. It may not be there. So first of all, acknowledge that you need infrastructure to help with succession planning. Now, succession planning is a family affair. Mm -hmm. You know, law firms often work in silos and it may be that your marketing department doesn't even know that someone's leaving or doesn't know that someone's being recruited in as a new person. Isn't that amazing that your chief marketing officer might not know that you've been talking to four partners at some litigation boutique that you're going to bring over. That's right. And that, and that chief market doesn't even know that that was going on. Yeah, because recruiting, when you recruit lateral partners, that is client development because you're not just bringing those clients, you're bringing the trusted advisor relationships that those partners have with those clients. Yes, and yes. So and I can tell you millions of stories about, about the uh, business development people being left out of those meetings you're missing a big piece of it. So that you have to first acknowledge that this is a family affair. We're going to be transparent 
And with transparency, you're going to get new ideas, people contributing to the conversation and saying, you know, we're going to need so-and-so to work over here in research and development and make sure we, we get all the information about this client, make sure we've got a, an e-room set up, you know, from a technology standpoint, that we're collaborating. You know, those, those take resources. And so unless you acknowledge it, you're not going to get the resources. So once you say, this is a family affair, we're going to build out the infrastructure to make sure technology, human resources, marketing, administration, billing, everyone is on board to understand what's happening here. Right. Any, any other recommendations related to the infrastructure? Any other tactical ideas related to the infrastructure firms need? You know, it's funny, you know, if it's a last thought and say, for instance, you know, you're in recruiting, you've brought this partner over and nobody thought about this beforehand. Can you imagine the first day that that partner comes over and say something, something, a crisis blows up with the client? You haven't set up the numbers yet. You haven't set up the files yet. You don't know who is going to be doing what. Can you imagine how chaotic that first day would be? Absolutely right. So long before that happens, you've got all your resources in place. Right. Yeah. And I think the firms that have done really well with this, they have a checklist of integration. They have people, and you said it's family fair, it's a team deal. They know exactly who's doing what, and they have integration protocols. Some firms will even have a director of integration. They'll have a director of recruiting and then a director of integration. So now you have somebody that isn't working two jobs and getting paid for one, an attorney. You've got a staff with some clout and some gravitas internally to snap fingers to get partners to execute to get the job done in terms of integrating a new person in. Because that's the key. And and I've done deals where there wasn't integration and that partner never sinks in all the way the way he or she needs to in a firm. Right, right. Yeah. And that, as you know, becomes a problem. Right. Uh, And we've seen, I know you've seen how some of these things just don't work out. That's right. And so do this. I want to ask you about three action steps that people can take. But before we do that, kind of tell us a little bit about the offerings you have to those people that are listening. And I like the idea of that building client loyalty checklist. I'm going to get that. What are some other offerings that you have that people might be able to take advantage of and even reach out to you and get some of your expertise on? Sure, sure. Well, one thing I do is I can come on as an external third party in integration processes and help firms, you know, at least find the people within their own firm who can handle certain tasks involved with succession planning and bringing on new partners. Mm-hmm. I also provide management consulting services along the line, auditing your current business development process. You know, you know, what's marketing, what's business development, what's the difference? Do you have the right people doing the right things? And then I also offer coaching, you know, actual sales coaching to associates, partners. A lot of times I like to get the senior associates who are just now making partner and they have that new revenue demand put on them and how they're going to handle that. And and within those coaching sessions, we talk about, you know, what is a trusted advisor? And it's not just about going to events and meeting people and networking and making relationships. It's about how do you retain that client? How do you become their best friend? You know, and what do you have to sell? Meeting people is one thing, but if you have nothing to sell, if you have no solutions to offer that are proven, it's going to be, it's going to be, you have a harder time with that. Absolutely. So like, yeah, I do a lot of coaching in that. And you know, what happens with the coaching is funny is that because I hope that I uh, rise to the level of trusted advisor with my clients and I will be sitting here and I'll get a call from a coaching client that says, 
hey, my marketing department just gave me this brochure on this service that I'm part of, but I feel like it's missing something. What is it? You know, and I might review it and say, well, it's lacking a call to action or you didn't define the problem or whatever. And they're like, yes, yes, thank you. And so those are the little things where I go, you know what? I've become a trusted advisor with this client. Right. That's fantastic. Well, tell us about the three action steps. What do you think would be three action steps people can take action on to really start on some of these ideas with you shared with us, Brenda? Sure, sure. First of all, I would say, look at your very top clients, the ones that you not only are, are making money from, but the ones that you really enjoy working with, and ask yourself the tough questions about whether or not you feel like you are truly at trusted advisor level. Go through a checklist, go through the checklist that's on my website and say, you know, can I validate that I have contributed to their success? You know, I listen to them, I, I go beyond the details of the engagement, I keep my word with them, I keep them informed. Ask yourself all the tough questions and then, you know, interview the client. If you're not careful, you know, a lot of times the service provider won't want to actually interview the client themselves. That's where your infrastructure comes into place. Do you have someone, like you said, integration or client care? at your firm that will interview this client on your behalf and find out how you're doing. Great. I would also say, ask your firm to develop succession protocols, which need to be in place at least three years before a partner retires. Wow. Um, So they have to think that far out. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And ask for special onboarding processes for the new partners bringing on clients, you know, get that, get that integration person on board. If you don't have one already, uh, make sure technology, human resources, uh, business development, everyone, everyone needs to be involved. So, and then I would say, take a look at the firm's existing infrastructure. And do you have the right resources dedicated to this? And are they, do they have the right skill set? You may have some people on board that are handling this, but look closely. Do they have the skills that you really need? Yeah. And that's why, that's why I would say poach from the big four, people that have done this a lot because it, it is a special skill set. And just taking somebody from marketing who's great at putting together a pitch book may not be the right person to actually handle your client care situation. Well, tell me about some of those skills. What specifically should they possess in terms of these skills? Well, first of all, they have to have immense curiosity. <laughs> they have to be ready to do a lot of research and roll up their sleeves and really get to know the client's operation. It's not just going to their website and saying, oh, this company manufactures uh, cans that, that the soup companies use. Well, okay, that's we know that's what they do. Let's look at where their locations are. Where are they buying products? What is their supply chain? Do they have transfer pricing issues? You know, are they public or private? Obviously, that's a big, you know, mm-hmm. if they're public, you're going to be able to get a lot of information out of the 10K. But there are services, too, that you can buy, and, and, and law firms and accounting firms both use, you know, various research services. Who are their decision makers? Do we know anybody over there? Let's get on our CRM and our LinkedIn and find out who we know over there. It just goes so deep and it takes real analytical skills that somebody that's just really great at writing your social media stuff may not have those analytical skills. You're absolutely right. If it's somebody that's a party planner and not strategic, that's not the right skill set for this particular particular role. Exactly. But it's so funny how in law firms, you know, marketing is marketing. Right. <laughs> You know, I just wear this hat today and wear this hat tomorrow, and you're going to miss out, I think, on the, the more sophisticated approach to handling the client. Well, this is great, Brenda. You've given us some great ideas. I know that the succession planning is a really big part of how any sort of professional services firm 
should operate as rainmakers. They need to be thinking in the future. Thanks so much for being here on the show again. We'll certainly have you on again in, in the future, Brenda. Thanks so much for being Thank here you. today. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. Rainmaking Podcast.